Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Hi guys, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. You know, I was struggling with exactly what to do this week. Of course, Katie Linendahl will be joining me on the State of Wrestling. That was not a struggle, that was an easy decision. But, this week, earlier this week, I guess it was technically the end of last week, I finally had Virgil in studio. Now Virgil, uh, as many people know, and I have a history without even knowing each other, as the website LonelyVirgil.net, which has creeped its way through the viral corners of the internet, was indeed started and is maintained by yours truly, Sam Roberts. Yes, I am the creator, founder, uh, curator of LonelyVirgil.net. So I finally got a chance to talk to him. The interview was, it happened, it's on SiriusXM On Demand, it was part of the SiriusXM Sam Roberts Show, which is on every day at noon on XM 103 and Sirius 206, that's OP Radio, uh, it's also on YouTube, and uh, I was mentioned in a Sports Illustrated article that just came out about Virgil, and I was going to take a, a, an abridged version of that interview and play it on the podcast today, as I've done before with, for instance, X-Pac and other wrestlers that have come on the SiriusXM satellite radio show. But as I listened to it, uh, I realized it was not really a wrestling interview at all. I couldn't even find spots to pull out to make it into a wrestling interview. Uh, it was fairly uh, adult-themed, humorous, uh, profane, if you will. Uh, not st- stuff that's typically a part of Sam Roberts' wrestling podcast. So I decided not to give you the Virgil interview this week. If you want to see the Virgil interview, if it sounds like it's your cup of tea, then go over to youtube.com slash notsam. You can watch the Virgil interview there uh, and be a part of it and all that. Uh, It's just not... I think some of you who listen to the wrestling podcast, just do so because you want wrestling. So if you want me and you want Virgil, listen on YouTube. If you want wrestling, then this is the place for you because... Uh, I've got a great interview to play for you today. I got it recorded a few weeks back at the New England Fan Fest, the wrestling convention that we were at as a podcast. I got to meet Alex the Pug Porto. Today's podcast is for uh, old school listeners. Alex the Pug Porto did have a wrestling career. Uh, and quite a, he, he, was, he was one of those journeyman wrestlers, if you will. But I didn't really know about him until I was a kid. And he debuted on WWF Superstars around the same time as guys like The Goon and T.L. Hopper and uh, Tracy Smothers as Freddie Joe Floyd and those guys. There was a whole Sal Sincere. There was a whole crop of guys that were brought in with weird kind of not really well thought out characters. Jim Neidhart as who? They were all brought in as not terribly well thought out characters and kind of just glorified jobbers. 
they didn't really do much with them. Uh, and, and, and I never really knew as a kid, especially if they were being brought in as kind of a new generation, if they were all tryouts or if this was something different. So I thought it was very, uh, cool to get a chance to sit down and talk to Alex, the pug Porto. Now, if, you know, if you, if you weren't wrestling, if you weren't watching at the time that, uh, Alex Porto was wrestling, which was the mid nineties in WWF, it's still a really interesting interview. It just gets into the, the, the business as it was back then. And I feel like the the mid early to mid 90s is probably the point of the business that we hear the least about only because it was not history, but it was right before the internet came out. It was also financially one of the weakest times in pro wrestling. So not I mean that's why Bret Hart's book is so good because there's so much backstage information and there's so many backstage stories about what wrestling was like in the in the, in the early to mid '90s, Alex Tapug Portel was there right before the Attitude Era, right before the WWE really took off and started to soar again. Alex Tapug Portel was there. I was uh, intrigued by his story of how he came to be in WWE and and his entire career. So, I bring to you today on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast our interview this week, Alex the Pug Porto. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. You never know who you're going to run into at New England Fan Fest. Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast now welcomes Alex the Pug Porto. What's the haps, Pug? Hey, how are you, man? Been a while. It's uh, great to be back up in the north uh, northeast. Yeah, how much? Uh, how many wrestling events do you do these days? Um, you know, I don't do much anymore. I mean, just the money's not there anymore. And uh, when there is a little bit of money there, they want you to go in and main event, you know, and work 20, 30 minutes with these guys that don't know how to work. Right. So uh, I just, uh, the business isn't what it used to be anymore. So it's a shame to say. Um, but, you know, like Cornette said last night in his, uh, you know, his, his show, Corny, uh, uh, it's just not, uh, it's not there anymore. So it's just, a, so you're like nowadays... If you were to do a show, they'd want you to go. They'd want you to do a, a twenty-minute match. They want you to kind of work with these guys that haven't really been trained yet. Exactly, you know. And I tell them, I said, "Look, okay. First of all, you're not paying a lot of money, right? Which I, I can understand that the houses are the drizzling shits anymore. So give me a baby face that can go three, four, five minutes and put me on first, second, or third. Give me my money. And let me get to the house. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. If you can't pay me, that's cool. Yeah. Let me just give you what this is worth then, as opposed to. Yeah, and then you, you, got these, you got these promoters out there nowadays. They're on a power trip. Yep. They hold all the talent up till the end of the night. They got them waiting in line till midnight to get their paycheck. Right. You know, so you know, you leave the house at three o'clock and drive three hours. You know, work a ten minute match in the ring and get home at two in the morning, waiting on a paycheck for fifty to hundred bucks. So I just, you know, I'm the, the hell with it. I'm done with that. You know. So what are you doing now? Uh, actually, I work with Southwest Airlines part time down in Orlando. Really enjoying it a lot. Uh, I've got three children now, and, you know, I worked full-time for 10 years, 87 through 97, and um, so just raising kids. How did you end up in the wrestling business to start with? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I met Jim Cornette in the Midnight Express in, in Shreveport, Louisiana uh, in 86, 87, and I had actually um, skipped my freshman uh, football practice uh one day in high school to hang out with Cornette and we went and ate pizza, you know, and I was just a huge mark for the Midnight Express. I loved Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton. 
And so that um, I mean, the purpose of you skipping football practice was just like, holy shit, Jim Cornette will hang out with me. Exactly. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah. I mean, I freaking uh, you know, I mean, uh, instead of putting my gear on and, and, and dressing up for football. I shot across the street from McDonald's, you know, and Cornette was back then wait, waiting on me. He'd just driven up, you know, from Baton Rouge, and we talked about it, you know, the week prior. And and uh, I just thought, you know, back then I thought, wow, what a cool way to make a living. These guys are having fun, uh, making how, money. How aware of the business were you? Like, you, were you smartened up to the business? Did you understand how Not at all. they were making money and what they were really doing? Not at all. And and what year was that? That was in 1986. Okay, so it wasn't it wasn't even close to the level of awareness that people have now. Absolutely not. And you know, as much as I would try to even get out of Cornette, he he was a very very old school K Faber, you know, and that's the way the business was back then. I totally respected that. Yeah. You know, he never broke K Faber on anything. I didn't even know what the word K Faber meant then, you know. But um, um, you know, I had a lot of respect for him, and and I didn't ask dumb questions. You know, um, uh, maybe I asked one or two, and I didn't get an answer, so I stopped immediately. That's one of those signals that you know, like, when, when it's okay to start asking dumb questions, but when somebody just keeps doing it and doing it, maybe this isn't the brightest bulb. Maybe this right. isn't the guy that we want to hang out with. So I ended up training in uh, Bossier City, Louisiana, mm-hmm. um, with a guy named Jim Starr, which is one of the original hangmen out of St. Louis Territory uh, back in the 70s. And um, great worker, um, but... Um, I actually got my first break in Dallas, Texas with Skandar Akbar. Um, he, you know, I showed him a couple of things, and he said, well, you know, I might have some TV for you. And so I had my first match in 87 in Dallas with uh, World Class. How did you end up? You got to the WWF at the time, WWE now, in kind of this weird time where it was like a, a new superstar debuting each week on Superstars pretty much. Like, let's throw T.L. Hopper at you. Let's throw, you know, Jim Neidhart in a mask at you. Let's throw this guy, Alex the Pug Porto, at you. And at first, like, I'm watching this, I'm going, I don't understand the pug. I'm like, the, like the dog? Like the, and, you know, you come out in the singlet. And as a kid, I'm going, like, I, I don't understand. How did you end up in WWF, and how did you end up as the pug? Well, it's funny, you know, they had some shows out in Texas, and I worked with Dustin one night, and uh, had a little tryout match, and they were happy with it. And uh, before I know it, uh, they were like, look, we're interested in you. We'll, you know, we'll give you a ring, and we'll, we're going to fly in and bring you to Titan Towers. And so funny thing is um, um, everybody got this phone call, but nobody knew it. And everybody flies into New York, <laughs> and so it's it's uh, Bill Irwin, uh-huh. Tom Brandy, right. Tracy Smothers, um, uh, Who? Tony Anthony, right, and Jim Neidhart, and me. I know, so, and normally, and you, you'd sit there when there's six guys, you're like, not all of us are going to make it, but all of you were there to get repackaged, I guess. Exactly, and none of us knew it, and we're all in this limo going to Titan Towers. And is that because you're just like, okay, we got to just get some workhorses that we know can work, we're going to repackage them, and these are the guys that we're going to kind of... You hit it right on the money, brother, because yeah. let me tell you something. They were booking guys for TV that, that knew how to work, but right. they didn't look like workers. They didn't have the right gear, you know, uh, didn't have muscles, didn't have, a you know, no tan. So um, they were like, you know what, let's let's bring in our own crew of guys that know how to work. Let's put some gimmicks on them. Right. And we'll have them put our guys over on Raw, and then on Superstars, we'll have them go over. Right, so it's almost like rethinking what you'd use, like, a jobber for. Like, yeah. instead of bringing in job guys, we're going to actually build some talent. Right. We're going to put the established guys over on Raw with them, but on Superstars, actually give people a reason that, oh, no, 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 that's not, that's... 
that's the pug. I know him from Superstars. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, uh, I, it was the most uh, exposure I'd ever gotten in my career. Yeah. You know, after working 10 years in Dallas and Japan, you know, I went to Japan several times in the early 90s. I wanted much more at the end. I mean, I really wanted, I mean, everybody wants to be Austin or Rock or Taylor, sure. you know. But um, I, I did want a much longer run. That's not really what I thought that they had in mind for me, but I took it, you know, for what it was. I did some good international tours. Um, had a great time. Worked with, you know, Jim Neidhart down in Miami on some house shows. Worked with Phil LaFon, you know, Doug Furness. Um, you know, worked with Dustin a lot of times. Worked with Owa Hart, Bulldog, you know, Hunter. Worked with the Bradshaw and worked with uh, JBL in, uh, in the garden. So, um, you know, it, it created a lot of good memories. Why did they want to put gimmicks on everybody? Like, why wouldn't Tracy Smothers come in as Tracy Smothers as opposed to what, Freddie Joe Floyd, I think is what his name is? Why, why, why did they, like, it seems like an extra step that it's like, if, this, if, if your purpose is to come in, get established a little bit, but put their guys over, why go the extra step of... Of creating this sort of brand or whatever it is, you know, it's it's a strange question, it really is. And, and I, I've done um, several podcasts and I explained it. But you know, when they brought us into Titan Towers, they brought us in, and uh, at the last of the, uh, you know, we met you know Vince and they gave us a few you know gimmicks and stuff. And uh, we went into Creations and, and they asked, hey, what, you know, what have you done? I said, well, you know, I was a dirty white boys in Tennessee with Tony Anthony in '89. You know, I was a, the beach bully in Dallas, Texas. You know, for Global. I uh, went over to Japan just as Alex Porto, and you know I was out in Puerto Rico. I had the you know light heavyweight strap out there from Ricky Santana '91. Well, the last thing I told them, I said, "Well, you know, I was an amateur wrestling in high, you know, I was an amateur wrestler in high school, and um, and believe it or not, um, a week later they called me. Bruce Pritchard called me. He said, "Hey, we're, uh, we're you're going to be an amateur wrestler. You just came out of college. You don't know a lot about the business." <laughs> and I was like, oh, "Okay." And he said, "We're either going to call you the Pug." Or Pitbull, and uh, Pitbull apparently was you know being used at the time in Atlanta with Craig Pittman. Uh -huh. So they went with the pug, and that's how the pug came about. Because you know? <laughs> the Pitbull was taken. That's so right. The next best option is a pug. Yeah. <laughs> and it is. I mean, but that is wrestling was so different back then because like for me, you know what's that? 94, 95? 96, 97. That was ninety six. Yeah. Okay. So you're already what? eight, nine years into your career at that point. Right. I started at 20. For yeah, me, I started at, yeah. I'm 12, 13 years old. It's the first time I'd ever seen Alex Porto. That's all I know. So I'm like, okay, yeah, this is just some guy fresh out of college. Exactly. And, and it's, 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 oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And that is, I think, the reason why they wanted to repackage guys because they knew that we had established names in other areas. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that was their idea of saying, okay, well, let's bring in a guy that's got experience, but let's put something on him new that people haven't seen. And try to see how it flies. Was it weird when they when they gave you that call? Did you think to yourself like, after everything we talked about, the, that that just kind of anecdote about also I was a high school wrestler, but here's everything I've done. Like that's the one amateur thing. That's the one thing you locked on to, and like everything else is out the window. It's just that one little detail that just gets locked on. That was the very last thing I thought they'd ever come up with. Yeah. And let me tell you something. I was what they had in mind for Kurt Angle. But I wasn't Kurt Angle. Kurt right. Angle was a gold medalist. Right. You know, and after the pug came in, you know, uh, outside, there had really never been anything like that other than Bob Backlund. Right. You know, um, they said, you know what, 
let's dig a little deeper. Let's get an Olympic champion. Let's bring in a guy named Kurt, you know Kurt Angle that it has a, a gold medalist, and and that's when they brought in Kurt, you know, and and I think that they saw a lot in me of what they really wanted, you know, beyond me. And they were also smart enough to take the character once Kurt came in and kind of give him this heel twist that kind of fit more with the times than just this like oh you know babyface collegiate guy right you know Kurt had a name I mean he was yeah. all over the world you know, he's a gold medalist so you know and they probably threw a lot more money on him than me you know whatever but um, you know um, I think that you know I inspired them to, to go that route with Kurt Angle so is there any question as to why like okay you know you're repackaging Alex Porto because he's been elsewhere but people may not know even you know uh, uh, T.L. Hopper, okay, we're re- Bill Irwin, okay, we'll repackage that. But why repackage Jim Neidhart? Yeah, He's that's a funny. WWF guy, right? Like, yeah, the Anvil is a known entity, and he even with a mask on, he looks like the Anvil. Right, and nobody un- never understood that. And of course, <laughs> none of the boys did either because he looked like Jim Neidhart under right. the hood, you know? It's right. like Dusty Rhodes, uh, whatever, the Midnight Rider, you right. know, when he was doing that, you right. know? But, um, yeah, that was funny. It was, it's know. strange. How did, uh, so when this new influx of guys come in, when all six of you or however many it was come in and kind of enter all at once, how did the rest of the locker room respond? Well, you know what? The, other than us, all the other guys were big stars. Mm-hmm. And they knew what we were there for. Okay, so there know. was no kind of, no. they're here to take our spot. It was just like, exactly. they just brought these guys in to make us look better. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys said, well, how'd you fit in politically back there? Well, I didn't have to. Right. I knew my I knew my position, you know. I mean, um, it wasn't important to be in the clique because, you know, we were, you know, our clique was Freddie Joe Floyd, <laughs> yeah. Bill Irwin, T.L. Hopper, right. you know. Tracy Smothers, Betty. Alex Porto, and Tom Brandy. None that of you were the, there to main event WrestleMania. That's not why you're there. That's right. You know, and I think I think the most guy out of all of us probably got more work was Tom Brandy. Yeah, and they ended up repackaging and trying. And well, he was in the Philadelphia area, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and you know they ran a lot more up here, and um, I, they actually used him for uh, Survivor Series at the Garden, right, in '97. Um, so you know he he got more, you know, and he 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 got some he got some good time on TV with Taker, and uh, you know my matches were, you know, hey, you got six minutes with Mankind, just get with Mankind on the finish, you know, uh, get with Triple H, you got about four minutes with Hunter, yeah, you know, and then Hunter would come up and say, hey, Alex, you know, they put the strap on me last night, I need to come out a little strong tonight, I mean, but you know, and then on Tuesday nights I would have an enhancement guy, and then I'd had that same opportunity, so right. So, for, so, so you didn't get frustrated with your role in the company because it was kind of made clear to you from the beginning, or did you get frustrated? Well, it wasn't made clear at the beginning. It when wasn't they call, when they called me and said, "Hey, we're gonna call you the Pug." I had no idea the Pug was coming in to be a glorified jobber. Right. <laughs> you thought like if you're gonna go so far as to call me something, yeah. If you're gonna make me gear that has my name on it and all this stuff, right? That's something, right? You, yeah. Like, like that's something that you're gonna do something with. And I had been a heel my whole uh, 10-year career before I got there. Uh-huh. And Jerry Briscoe was pretty much my agent, you know, kind of in charge of, of, of me. And he said, well, you're going to be a babyface. And then that really threw a wrench on everything. And I was like, hmm, I've never done that. Yeah. But that's what they wanted, you know. And, and is that a case of, of the guys there not really knowing 
what your strengths were? Because it would seem like, you know, okay, we got this guy and we can package him as an amateur wrestler, but, you know, we can also look at what he's done in the past and see where his strengths are and kind of capitalize on that. Like when they brought in, you know, Matt Bourne to be doink, like, yeah, it's a totally departure, but we're going to make him a heel because we know he can be a good heel and, and, and we can use that. Well, you know, I mean, that's a from one extreme to another. Alex Porto to Matt Bourne. Matt Bourne had been an established worker for many years. Uh-huh. You know, Alex Porto, yes, was a solid worker in Dallas and Japan. You know, with global and world class. But I don't think, even though if they knew that, I don't think that they had any interest in that. They knew they what they needed us for. Yeah. They knew that we could go in there and make those guys look good. They knew that we looked like workers. They knew that we could work. So when did that reality sit sit in that you're like, oh? This is what I'm here for. Yeah, after about the third, uh, after about the first few rolls, uh-huh. it just you know it was like, okay, this is what we're here for, right? You know, and that must have been, a, but that had to have been a weird thing, and it, and it must have taken you a few weeks to figure out because before then, it wasn't a, like enhancement workers were not going over on other enhancement workers and then coming in like that. That process didn't really happen before you guys. No, it didn't. you see it a little more nowadays. Like you right. don't really see true job guys you see more guys like that would have fit in with with the Alex Portos Freddie Joe Floyds of the world and maybe that's just a concept they were starting to test out but before then that must have been a, a kind of you wouldn't have even thought that you were brought in for that because it wasn't happening no and it, you know at the time it was very creative you know uh, it was something that was needed yeah I just didn't know it was gonna be me <laughs> right <laughs> right you know and you know and, and, and Tony Anthony fantastic worker for many yeah. years Bill Irwin, great freaking worker for many years, you know. And um, how did those guys feel about it? You know, I think that those guys had such strong runs in the previous years. They were ready to take it easy. They, you know, it didn't matter to them. They were right. there. You know, I mean, it was an easy paycheck. You know, and I, you know, to me, I was 24 years old, 25 years old. You know, I was really just ready to start off. And, you know, really take off another 10 years. I, so you started wrestling when? When I was 17. Wow. Yeah, in 87, I had my first match. Wow, and you were 17 years old. Yes. So you were, so you're this guy who's got this kind of hardened, somewhat veteran mentality because you've been wrestling for years, but you're 25. Yeah. Wow. You know, and so it was different, you know. I mean, and you know, yes, it was a little disappointing, but at the same time, you know, I talked to many guys in Texas that I, you know, broken the business with over the years, and they're like, man, you're on the roster, who cares? Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. But, but this, at the same time, you know, aside from Tom Brandy, you run down that list, and those are not guys that are 25 years old. Those yeah. are guys, like you said, that have had runs, that have, you know, tasted success. And it's like, that must have been a, a tough pill to swallow. It's like, okay, at that age is when you're supposed to be getting the break. And it's like, you think it's the break, but then somehow you get coupled in with these guys. Who just missed it, or, or you, you know what I mean? Like who 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 who've done it? Yeah, and you know what? Look, I, I I'm a fantastic worker. I really am. I mm-hmm. and not pat myself on the back, but I don't have a lot of charisma. I was never really good on the mic. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a Jericho. I wasn't an Austin. You know, I, you know, I wasn't a Christian. And those guys, they were just as good on the mic as they were in their ring. So you when know? you see guys like that, when it's '96. And you see the the Austins and the Michaels and the and the, and the, these guys that are all obviously starting to come up. Even Rocky, like you said, at Survivor Series, starting to come up. Are you looking at them like, whoa, like this is a whole other thing? The, the way these guys handle, like this is this is taking the business in a totally other direction. Yeah, it, no doubt about it. I mean, I, I could do very very strong interviews, mm-hmm. but to go out there and go you know live on Raw with a mic 
and do stuff like you know Jericho or Cena or you know stuff like that. I just I, I yeah I didn't have that kind of charisma. Right, know? right. And uh, and that was right when the business was really taken off to that. You yeah, know? yeah. So how do you find out that uh, WWE is done with their experiment? That they're kind of the the Freddie Joe Floyd's and the Alex the Pug Portos are going to start disappearing. Well, um, you know they just kind of. We were on a nightly deal there. I mean, yeah, we signed for, you know, until they were done with us. Right. And uh, But it wasn't like a guaranteed thing. It was just like, come in, we'll pay you, and that's it. Yeah, it was a nightly, you know. Yeah. And, and there would be times where they would book me, and then they would they would uh, call me and say, hey, you know, we're, we're shaving numbers on this run. You know, you're going to be off. And you know, I kind of got a little hot about it, you know, because, I mean, you know, I, I wanted to work, you know. And, yeah. You know, I so when you have, and when you have that deal, you can't work other places. No, I couldn't, and I had expenses too. You right. Know? I mean, I had a car, I had a cell phone, I had car insurance, groceries. Sure. I mean, this is now this is your gig. It's like, you, but you gotta, you gotta pay me. Right. Like you know, you and, gotta book me. Um, and then at the last, uh, Bruce Pritchard called me. He said, "Hey, we're going to be in Birmingham. You know, uh, we could really use you." Well. You know, I hated to say it, but use me for what? For what you've been using me for? Right. I mean, I, we already know this is kind of fading out. Birmingham's, you know, 600 miles from my house. You know, you want me to drive? You know, and look, I'm not trying to say I was too good for it, but for 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 what they had us in there for, and it was kind of fading out at the time. Right. So you, I was like, you know, in my head, I was like, Bruce, I think I think this is over. You know? Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> You know, we just all kind of diminished, you know, as you as you well know. But uh, like I said, I, I wasn't too good to, to do it. But for the position that I had, yeah, yeah it's like you know, are you gonna drive 600 miles to go? Yeah, to go four minutes, do a four minutes squash, and then know? not be used again. It's one thing if they're gonna be like, okay, you make this drive, we're gonna start using you. But it's like if you know it's coming to an end anyway. Yeah, and that's when WCW is really kicking Vince's butt. Right, the NWO. And to be honest with you, whenever I left there, I was in Orlando when when uh, uh, WCW was doing their TV tapings down there. And when I left Vince and went down there and, and worked some matches, I had some of my strongest matches after the pug. Mm-hmm. Bit Finley, you know, uh, uh, Hugh Morris, you know, Billy Kidman, Alex Wright, you know, Super Calo. I had some good solid matches down there. I could actually get in there and work, you know. And was that was that the thing where? WCW was just like, oh, you're like you're off WWE TV. You come on board, come on board. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, well pay they, you. We'll... They knew I could work. Yeah, I, they knew I lived in Orlando, mm-hmm. and they knew I was done up there. You know, and yes, I was trying to get a spot with them, but nothing never, just never really popped. You know, right. but, but you were working with the cruiserweights mainly, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was also kind of a, a, a revolutionary change in the business because you didn't have matches like that on TV, and you weren't a guy like you wasn't given. 10 minutes, 12 minutes, whatever it was, to work with a guy like Super Calo before they started doing that stuff on Nitro. Right. Um, and, you know, to go a step further, I mean, Vince's TV time was so critiqued. I mean, it was like, okay, you got six minutes with Peru. Bam. I mean, that's all it was. And it's a hard six. Yeah. And yeah. then when you go to you go to WCW, hey, you know, you're with Fit Finley. You guys got about eight or ten. Just listen to Fit. You know, and we were a lot more lenient in there, you know. Yeah. And, and I could be myself in there, you know, and, and I could open up. And, you know, I wasn't afraid 
you know, it was a little intimidating to cut off Ron Simmons. Sure. And get freaking leveled, you know. It yeah. was a little intimidating working with Mankind, you know. And, was and, it? And Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. It really was. Because, you know, I was 25, and those guys had been there for, they were established guys, you know. Yeah. But whenever I went, whenever I went to WCW and I got out of there, uh, you know, I was working with Billy Kidman, Alex Wright. You know, those guys, those were just average good workers. And and even when you were in WCW, did you feel like you were more established? Just being on WWE TV had established you to a point that when your name is introduced as Alex Porto, the American fans are on a national level are being like, oh yeah, I know who that is. Right, and they did, you know. And um, the the sad part is, is that. I actually got to work in WCW. You know, they allowed me to go in there and work. Yeah. You know what I mean? With Vince, it was, you know, this is what you're going to do, you know, and and that's what I did. And is there any room when that scenario comes up for somebody on your level to go to Vince and say, Vince, like, I don't know if you know me, but let me introduce myself, and this is what I'm capable of. It's funny you say that because years later I should have done that. Yeah. You know, or years years later now. I think in hindsight, right. Exactly, because Booker T did that same very thing. When he was picked up, you know, with WCW, um, he went in and Vince said, "Look, if, if I do what these agents are telling me, I'm gonna end up, I'm gonna end up losing my job here." You know, and, and Vince said, "Booker, go do your thing." You know, but at the same time, knowing that I came in there with those other five guys and what we were used yeah. for, who was I to go in there and say that to Vince? And. It's a risk, too, because if you're not necessarily a priority, Vince is going to do two things. He's One of two things. He's going to either say what he said to Booker, go out and do your thing, or he's going to say, you know, who the fuck do you think you are, and you've got heat with the agents now. Exactly. And so you got to kind of make your choice right there. Yeah, it was very intimidating there. It really was. It was. You, know, you just keep your mouth shut, you know, and um, do what you were told. You know? Was there a worry at that time? Because that was when WWE was really in trouble financially. Yeah. Like that was when, like you said, like even towards the end of your run, when, when Nitro was getting even bigger, but even before that, I mean, they weren't doing the ratings, they weren't doing the houses, like it was, it was they were not making the money that they once made. Was there a vibe of like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do here? I think so, but you know, Vince has always pulled through the, the, the valley, you know, so to speak, and uh, I think that was probably, you know, one of the lowest times they'd hit. Right yeah. There. Because, you know, with, with Brett going to WCW and Hogan there and, and Piper, I mean, they couldn't touch that show for nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and WCW, they were just throwing money out the window at the time. They had, you know, Goldberg. and I mean, so they had a lot of serious talent in there, you know. And the only top guys that were with Vince were still Austin, uh, The Rock, and Taker, and, and Shawn Michaels, right. you know, which were strong names. Um but um, they weren't, you know... Yeah, I mean, Rock and Austin still hadn't hit that peak. Yeah. Michaels and Taker had been there for a long time, so it's like, what's that sort of yeah. thing? what's grabbing it? Well, right. what's grabbing it was Nitro. Right. You know, NWO, you know, who's gonna, who's coming out next week, you know, and, you know, because they kept adding guys to the roster, right. you know. And then after, did you ever pitch for yourself to join the NWO since you had done time on WWE TV? No, because uh, I think that that had actually uh, faded out once I went down there. Oh, okay. Uh, after you left WCW, do you kind of start watching the show? Because wrestling is just getting hotter and hotter and figuring out, you know, if I was there, I could be doing this or I could be doing that. Or are you kind of over it by then? You know, I'm, I, I'm over it. I really am. I mean, you know, I am content with what I did. Yeah. You know, um, I've been in the ring with a ton of guys and... 
you know, Sting, Luger, the Road Warriors, the Midnight Express, the Freebirds, you know, carrying Kevin Von Erich, Al Perez, Jimmy Jack Funk, Hunter, Bradshaw, Farouk, you know, um, the list goes on. So um, I, I don't, the only thing I regret about the business is jumping in at 17 years old at a, at being a junior in high school, senior in high school, and not getting a good education like a lot of these guys are doing nowadays. Right. You know. Not having that thing to fall back on. Exactly. So. Yeah, and that, that's got to also make it tougher. Like, you realize, am I going to go to Vince? Because if he fires me, what do I got? Like, I started this when I was 17. Yeah. I got to start all over again now and figure out the next thing, and I have no idea what that is. Uh, and, and I'm sure on some level Vince knows which guys have nothing to fall back on, sure. which guys have something oh, to no fall doubt. back on. You were talking about, you know, when you were in WCW getting a chance to work and, and how refreshing that was and everything. Do you also, though, think on some level that it hurts them not having a micromanager like Vince, that there's not this one guy who's directing exactly what to do in the sense that, okay, you know, I know who the boss is. Like, there is something to knowing who the boss is and whether I agree with him or not, that's what we're doing versus, you know, letting the boys do what the boys do. Or do you think it is better to just let the boys do what the boys do? Well, at the time, Eric Bischoff was the booker. Mm -hmm. But, you know, never really heard from Eric, never really saw Eric, you know. But, you know, uh, Terry Taylor was an agent, Arn Anderson, mm -hmm. you know. And I pretty much just kind of, you know, just like Vince was the head guy there, you know. But Jerry Jarrett and Pat Patterson and, and you know, um, George Animal Steel, Tony Gurria, mm -hmm. those were agents back then, you know. And, in a production meeting, those guys are all assigned three or four matches, and those guys are to get those put together. Well, it's kind of the same thing at WCW. You know, Terry Taylor was assigned to three or four matches. Orrin had a few matches, you know, uh, and whoever the other agents were. So, but it's, you know, um, I think that those agents knew that I could work. Right. Although I didn't get, I, I didn't show that with WWF. Um, they knew it previous to that. Right, they knew who you were. So they knew, you know, um, like I'd go, like I worked one night with Dean Malenko, and I said, hey, Dean, what do you want to do? He said, I'll just go out there. I, I, you know how to work, you know. That's got to feel good. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and so, you know. It's also got to give you a certain bit of confidence, like when you don't have somebody micromanaging you and just being like, no, 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 you know what you're doing. We got it. We'll go out there and do it. That's got to refill your level of confidence like you know what I am a good worker I don't need to be doing four minute squash matches I do know what I'm doing and that's that's exactly that's what I was used to for 10 years before I went to Vince right was hey you know you've got you got about 12 minutes with Coco Beware you've got about 10 minutes with Chris Adams you know you've got you know six or eight minutes with uh, you know whoever it was you know you know and um, you know I could go out there and do my own thing tell a story but with Vince, it was very, very. I mean, it was cut to the chase. This is what we, you know, this is what you're here for. This is what you're here to do. We don't need, you know, don't say anything about it. You know, yeah. they didn't say that, but you could tell that that was the way the office was coming across. When you go to a convention like this and you meet fans, they come up to you and get autographs and all this stuff. Are you surprised, based on everything your career has been and, and everything you've done? Are you surprised how many people remember the pug? Believe it or not. I am. Yeah. And most people that come up to me today right now remember me from the old ESPN classics, the Beach Bully. That's what they, oh, because ESPN brings it back. Yep. 
and now and I guess that's also when you get to display a little more personality, have a little longer matches. So that's what people you find more know you for now. Right. The beach you know, because they that's where Booker T and I started, you know. Yeah. In Global and Ahmed Johnson and Bradshaw, you know. And so they remember those times. You know, that's back when the business was, you know, good business. Uh-huh. You know? And uh, not knocking it too much now, but it's just not the same anymore. You well, know? you don't have the territories now. You got a big company. And NXT. And NXT. Yeah. Other than that, you got some indie shows and that's it. Yeah. There is no, you know, the, the, there is there is no other thing. I mean, you know, there's TNA, but who knows how long that's even going to be around for. Yeah, and, you know, with ESPN re-air and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. You know, it just it, it throws out a lot of exposure. And, you know. and I think a lot of people, too, because I remember watching Global coming home from school it'd be on at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon on ESPN and I would watch it every day I came home from school but beyond that and I think that that only lasted you know a couple years people kind of forgot that there was this other thing going on at the same time there's WWE there's WCW but there's this other little thing on ESPN and there's some really good wrestling and it goes to show that you look at these rosters and all of them came through global Yeah, you know what I mean I mean the number of people that came through the same place that you came through is pretty astounding. And that is the way you watch WWE TV today and you look at all the top guys being Ring of Honor guys. 15 years ago, you watch WWE TV and it's like a lot of these guys are global guys that yeah. came up. Same with WCW, really. No doubt. And the big thing back then was was ESPN was worldwide. Yeah. You know, Vince didn't have worldwide at the time. WCW. Yeah. You know, and they didn't have... You know, internet back then where you could just, you know, hit WCW.com or WWE.com and just watch it, you know. So, I mean, ESPN TV was very, very strong. Yeah, and I mean, and, and like I said, the fact that it was on every day at one point. Yeah. And it was like, that was the thing. Me and my buddies would go home and, and you'd discover it. You'd go, oh, do you know there's other wrestling on TV? And it's like, what? For like a little kid wrestling fan. You mean when you come home from school, there's wrestling on TV? Yeah, yeah. And you turn it on every day and you right. watch the Patriot and the Lightning Kid and everything. It was, it was, uh, it was outstanding. So is that, it, it, do you like being remembered for that? Is that is that where you'd like to be your kind of legacy in wrestling? Well, unfortunately, yes. I mean, I was very, very content with going to WWE. That was the highlight of my life. Sure. You know, I mean. And if, and if you would, if you had never gone at all, that that would have been in your head. Like, you, you know, you, you if, don't want to not have that experience as a wrestler of never having been there. Yeah, it's a love-hate thing. Right. Uh, I'm content that I made it with WWE. If I would have never made it with WWE, I felt like I probably wouldn't have reached my goal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? However, th- then I, I was able to wrap up my career there. Um, it was it was it, it was a valid position in the business. Did you know that, like, as you ended your career in WWE and you went to WCW for a little bit? Did you know your career was wrapping up? Because you were a young guy. You know, did you have any inclination that, yeah, I'm kind of done at all. I'm kind of done with this. Well, to be honest with you, I mean, I was young, you know. And after the plug, I went down there busting my butt in WCW, working hard with all these guys. And I thought, well, maybe these guys will pick me up. Right. And, and, and use, you know, but it just didn't happen, you know. And, uh, and so at that point you go, you know, am I going to keep fishing or? Well, I had a daughter. She was, you know, just a year old in 97. And and I and I thought you know what it's been a great ten years I love the business um, I've done all I can in it you yeah know? Um, I, I've hit almost every promotion worked with 
so many top talents, and I was content with walking away and saying, hey, you know what? I gave it my all, you know? And yeah. uh, I said, now I need to be a dad. You know, I can't be a dad and be on the road. Um, I've, I've, I've known too many guys that made a ton of money but don't know their children. Right. You know, and that, I always, um, that really stuck out to me whenever I'd hear guys say that, you know. I was talking to uh, Earthquake one night down at wrestling school in Orlando when he was alive. He's like, you know what, Alex? Uh, my daughter's 17. We sit in the living room, and I don't even know her. Wow. You know, he said, he said I watched her grow up in pictures. Yeah. And, um, and, and that hit me. That hit me kind of hard, you know, yeah. because my daughter was 10 weeks early. She was three pounds. Didn't know if she was going to make it or not. She did make it. She's 18 now. Amazing. And um, and I've been there every day of her life. Yeah. You know. So you know, and a lot of guys they you know wonder why'd you get out? You know what happened? Well, you know, I mean, it wasn't really my choice. I mean, it kind of was, but it wasn't. I mean, I had gone with Vince. I did what I could there. WCW had seen me as strong as I could be. Right. Um, and when you're gonna like work the indies and try right. to like you, you did that. You did that too. You can't go. Kind of tough to go backwards. Yeah. You got to make you know. that, that. That's kind of a choice you make. You're like. If I'm going to continue on in this. I got to go backwards, or yeah, you know, exactly. you got a kid and you got to and you got to move on with life. Yeah, and I had two boys since then, so I've got three beautiful children. What do they do? They know about your wrestling career, because even even the 18 year old would be too young to really to well, have been around. Well, no, they really don't. Other than you know the ESPN classics coming on. So when you go to a convention like this. And you're like, no, yeah, they're flying me out, and a bunch of fans are going to be asking for my autograph. And they're like, what are you talking about, Dad? Nobody cares. Right. Nobody. What do, you, what do you mean? Well, and they don't see that superstar dad because I'm just a dad at home. I'm right. not. I'm not the pug, you know. Of course. Uh, you know, I'm not. You don't walk around pug. in the singlet. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so it's it's you know they're like, what do you mean? You know, we we don't know that guy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you pull out the WWE encyclopedia, and you go, that's your dad. Right. Well, listen. Uh, I'm glad you just stopped by. I'm, I'm glad to talk to you because it's one of those things. I think a lot of people kind of remember you, whether it's through the ESPN Classics or even just people that were raised on WWF. It's one of like your group of guys, regardless of what you were used for, were pushed pretty heavily for us kids that were watching Saturday Morning Superstars. You know what I mean? You guys were on TV all the time. It was like, hey, next week we got this superstar debut. Right. We got this superstar. So I think it is one of those things that people wonder, like, what was the story with that? Yeah. Um, so I'm glad you had the time to hang out here. Hey, appreciate you very much, man. It was an honor and uh, a lot of great talent up here in Providence, and, and including uh, Goldberg and Bischoff and yeah. Cornette and, you know, uh, all the all the divas that are here. And, uh, a lot of divas. Greg Valentine, Jimmy Stucco. This has been a great, great turnout. Yeah. Do you have any uh, – you, are you on Twitter or anything like that? Or Yeah. Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. I'm on all of them. Where can so. they get you at? Just Alex Porto. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, get it, Alex Porto, and thanks for being on uh, the podcast, man. Hey, sounds good, man. Have a great day. You too. All right. See you, man. Here is Sam Roberts. Alex the Pug Porto. So if you ever wanted to know what happened to him, that's what happened to him. He's doing very well. He's a very nice guy. He's a sweetheart. It's hot in my apartment right now. I have to turn off the AC so I can do this. I want you to know that. I just want you to know I've sacrificed for you. So in exchange, you can sacrifice a little bit for me. And by that, I mean put some of your money towards a good cause. Primetime Sam Roberts. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts and get yourself a Sam Roberts t-shirt. You can get a Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirt. You can get a Not Sam Mode t-shirt. It's the Divas Revolution Represent your favorite diva, yours truly, Sam Roberts. 
with, with this Not Sam Mode t-shirt. You can get the official Not Sam shirt. You can get a What's the Hap shirt. They're all available right now at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. So get them, enjoy them, and uh, it all helps the podcast. You know what I mean? Not only does it help the podcast financially, but just getting the word out there. Showing up on TV with one of these t-shirts. Going to a live event with one of these t-shirts. Walking around your hometown. Walking around your house. Maybe your wife will start listening to the podcast. That's two downloads instead of one. That's huge. That's double. Okay, if you could double your household downloads, then you can consider yourself a good person. If not, well, then I'm not sure about you. I'm not sure. Uh, State of wrestling time. So much going on. Uh, a lot to get into. Katie Linendahl is joining me on the state of wrestling. Uh, and uh, why don't we go for it, huh? Here it is. It's now time for this week's state of wrestling. Here we are again. Welcome to the state of wrestling. With yours truly, Sam Roberts, as always, on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. There's so much going on in the world of wrestling, and it's called Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I like to think that we cover all pro wrestling. We don't do such a good job of, like, New Japan. It's because we're not in Japan. We're in America. But I'd like to talk about Impact. I'd like to talk about Ring of Honor. I'd like to talk about every the indies. I'd like to talk about PWG. But there's so much going on in WWE right now that that tends to dominate the state of wrestling. They are the industry standard, after all. Luckily, it's not just me here today. Here with me, my partner in crime. We get her this week. It's not always a guarantee. Uh, Visionary and genius. Katie Linendahl is here. Now, Katie has squeezed us in because she's getting ready to go help women find uh, uh, jobs and create and 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 shrink the gender equality gap in countries like Malaysia, the Philippines, and even uh, uh, you're going to be in Hong Kong as well. That's like next week, right? I think it's in a few days. I don't have a flight yet, but <laughs> okay. But here, I got you here now. It's peanut butter jelly time. <laughs> peanut butter jelly. Peanut yeah. butter jelly. Right. Peanut right. butter jelly was stinging a baseball bat. That's right. Very good way to relate it. I did that on the fly. You did? Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. How long is the flight to Hong Kong? I honestly, I, I don't have a flight. I couldn't tell you how long it is, oh, but boy. I'll be gone in a few days. That's just how I run my life, okay? Well, then here's what we're going to do. It's going to be an amazing adventure, and these are stories that I live for. Yeah. I mean, it's Passionate incredible. stories. It's incredible. And, and actually, and the, the Philippines, they got bombed by the, um, the super uh, typhoon. Now they're, like, rebuilding, and they're... I hope there's no typhoons while you're there. It's a economic rebuild. Yes. We'll help them out with that. Throw them go, a few bucks. I go from like, you know, a tsunami to talking about how I'm really excited to be chatting with everyone on your – the new fans from the podcast right. on Twitter. You, you go know, from talking about a tsunami to talking about the natural disasters. To how – How do you like that? You see what I just did there? You see that like the tag do, team, you see? I'm always thinking. That's right. To how – Kevin Owens' armpit and Finn Balor's Legos is following me on Twitter. Well, it's like it's like no matter so how it's, much, it's very, um, no matter how big of a difference you make on the planet, very extreme differences. Yeah, there's gonna my my people will <laughs> my always world. be there as well. Uh, definitely, like your people are the ones who are like, oh my god, I can't believe what an impact you're making on the planet, and and I've I've gained so much from as a, as a person, and blah blah blah. And my people are like, New Day sucks. Am I right, at Katie Linendahl? <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Well, Katie, I mean. We've had uh, a really good, I think, episode of Raw this week. We are coming off of the Battleground pay-per-view. Another fairly lousy episode of Tough Enough. Uh, 
Where do we begin? Wow. Overwhelming. Overwhelming indeed. I mean, uh, especially on the diva side. I know you're still freaking out about it. I mean, don't get me up. We can't There's do another. so much to cover. We can't do another fully divas podcast. No. People would hate us. I will say this. People already hate you. I'm just, I'm just hanging on by a string. Why'd you have to do it? Saying. <laughs> Why'd you have to do it? Well, I will Same. say this. The pay-per-view, Battleground. It was a good show, but I wasn't sure if it was going to be a good show in the beginning. I think it took about an hour to an hour and a half to really start to move. The first the first half of that show was pretty by-the-book standard. Whoop, there it is. That's right. You had R-Truth whooping on the pre-show. You had uh, uh, the primetime players retaining. You know, all this stuff going on. It wasn't really until even during the Bray Wyatt-Roman Reigns match— I was thinking to myself, if nothing special happens here, I don't know if this is a terribly memorable pay-per-view. And then something special happened. Something and, huge happened. Right. The Wyatts started to reform. Oh. That in the end sure. of that match. Sure. Then then your Divas thing. I think everybody's opening to the, even half or, or two-thirds yeah. of the Wyatts reforming. Yeah, and Eric Rowan's injured, so you'd think that he'll be back too. Fine. Right. I, although I was laughing uh, the, this week on Raw, they had – and I tweeted about it, and I believe it was retweeted by the WWE Universe. Um, they had Luke Harper and Bray Wyatt versus Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose. And it was almost like, can we just admit we broke up these factions too early? Like they're still <laughs> like reason. these are the teams we want to see. Now, Seth Rollins, of course, would be the exception to that because he's done so well on his own. But – as I was watching that, I was like, yeah, can't we just say we call a mulligan? We we blew it. Maybe leave Seth Rollins out, but add a new Shield member or something and 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 call it like it is. Some people were thinking that they should have Bo Dallas join the Wyatt family, which I think is pro- – to me, that's a little too on the nose. It's like we get it. They're brothers. And I like Bo Dallas on his own anyway. And then add Sting – to the Shield. I think people are just looking for a reason for Sting to be back. And Pe- the Shield to be back. And for the Shield to be back in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but I, I don't know how even the Divas revolution is not bigger news than the fact that The Undertaker is back. Huge. That's the huge news. I'm assuming that's what you were getting at when you said huge. <laughs> not the Wyatt family reunion. That's the way to make SummerSlam. I mean, obviously. And it's a, SummerSlam was already sold out. Like, people were... Yeah, but we needed that headline card. Like, that true headline well, you card. Well, you don't get more headline than, than Undertaker, Brock Lesnar. No. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. What'd you think of the, uh, what'd you think of the way the show ended, Battleground? I thought it was... The championship was a little bit overshadowed. I thought yeah. it was just kind of forgotten about. And even, even now, as they're moving towards SummerSlam... Which is looking like a Cena Rollins. Right, and we'll get into that. But I still think the championship is being overshadowed uh, because they said it. They said the main event for SummerSlam is Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar, which puts the championship match not in the main event, which has been done recently. It didn't used to be done, but but I, I do think that the Undertaker... WWE is at such an interesting point because... There are now superstars that legitimately overshadow the championship. You can make the argument that Brock Lesnar overshadows the championship, the world championship. Undertaker absolutely overshadows the world championship. 
some could argue, and, and, and you saw it when CM Punk was the champion, that John Cena overshadows the World Heavyweight Championship. And I wonder, I personally don't think it damages the title, but I could see the argument that some people would make that it damages the title and the champion if you've got guys on the show that are bigger than the championship is. I question if Bray Wyatt versus Taker at Mania was a uh, was that was so it was just a warm up. It was almost like a plug in, and that's what I was also thinking that when I was watching Raw this week that watching uh, watching the Undertaker's talk, watching the the backstage stuff between Brock and the Undertaker, which I think looked great. Oh, may I say something about that? I you like may. the style of where this is heading because right out the gate, there's no time for them to deliver soliloquies in ring to each other. Right. It is just an all-out brawl. Right. I feel like we've been missing that just, like, fuming madness. Well, that's that thing in wrestling. It's like, well, we hate each other, so why are we talking? Right. And that's what this is. Undertaker comes out and he talks, but the minute Brock Lesnar's in that building, he's running to the ring, and they got uh-huh. no words. They I like the style. hate each other. I hope. I wish. Sorry. Tell me. No, you tell I me. I wish Paul Bear was still around. He's dead. Oh. I know, oh, Sam. Okay, I'm just saying he's not coming back. He is will not be making a surprise. God rest appearance. his soul. That's right. But oh yes, how amazing would that to see Heyman versus uh, Bear? Right, I mean, Heyman oh, and Bear oh, in separate oh, corners. Oh, oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, or even a tuxedo match between the two of them. Uh, I would say that uh, yeah. Ooh, can we make this a coffin match? Lesnar Undertaker. Mm-hmm. I don't even think you need to. I don't think there's no, and no stipulations are needed. Maybe no DQ. But I, there's no way this match will end in a DQ. I mean, Brooklyn will burn that stadium to the ground <laughs> if the match ends in a DQ. Brooklyn, Brooklyn. You don't <laughs> yeah. mess with us here. No, uh-uh. no. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that watching The Undertaker in the ring, I realize this is the first time that we've really seen The Undertaker since the Brock Lesnar match. He disappeared from TV. Remember, he was not on TV at all for the build-up to the Bray Wyatt match. He showed up once. He won one match, and then he was gone again. So he was literally, he's been on TV for whatever it is, 25 minutes since the Lesnar thing. And you wonder, yeah, I think you're right. You wonder, in hindsight, does that have a purpose? In so hi- was that a warm-up match? Just to see, like, if he know, still feel it out. I, you mean you mean behind the scenes? I don't know. I I, I bet that it was. I, I, Bray Wyatt has a reputation of, of that I've heard. I don't know because I don't work there. But I've heard that Bray Wyatt is uh, – he's easy to work with. Like people like working with him because he he looks impressive but he doesn't hurt people and blah, blah, blah. So he would be the ideal opponent to see like, all right, we want to do a Brock Lesnar rematch. You know, last time Undertaker was in the ring with Brock Lesnar, he got a concussion within three minutes. So is Undertaker physically capable to do this rematch? Let's put him in there with Bray Wyatt and find out. And if we're going to put him in there with Bray Wyatt, we might as well do it at WrestleMania and make some money off the damn thing. Does it does it hurt the value that I've, he had that match? I don't think so. Right. No. Especially not after this one is being built. Like, people are frothing for this one. Uh, you heard the reaction. Even though you're right. The match ended a little weird because there was no specific declaration of disqualification. The match is over. It was just like, well, the Undertaker's here. So it was for- like an awkward departing hug. Right, like forget this match even happened. Yeah. Right. It was. It was, it was like do he- cool. We're. I thought we we're going in for a handshake, but I guess it, yeah. it's a hug. It's a, that's. Uh, I'm happy you're here. That's. Uh, that's how you, you felt hug. about the Undertaker. Like I'm happy you're here. I just didn't know we hug. Yeah. Like 
Do the lights stay off? Like, should we just pound it out? Fist bump? Oh, you're holding my fist now. You're that's actually weird. gripping my. Yeah, you should let this go. This is weird. Yeah, everything got strange. Okay, do we just make out? Yeah, I guess that's. Okay, cool. Okay, I'll just good lean talk. in. No, okay, I, was, I was kidding. Talk, I was kidding. Talk. I was. Yeah, I didn't. For sure. Mm-hmm. No, I, me too. I, yeah. 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 There was some of that awkwardness. Um, but all in all, I think it was good, and I I don't think it takes away from Seth Rollins as the champion. Uh, if anything. The fact that he's kind of weaselly and weaseled his way out of the Brock Lesnar match adds to his reputation. I mean, that's his character. He weasels out of stuff. He needs J&J. He needs Kane. He needs outside interference, you know? I feel like the authority is still a few short. Well, that brings us to—I mean, have we hit on everything with The Undertaker? It's just amazing that he's back. Yeah, undeniably. And, and yeah, I think actually you're probably right, and I hadn't even thought of that. I think the Bray Wyatt thing was probably a warm-up match for him to see if he still had it. And I like that he's in the ring talking now. I like that he and Undertaker, or he and Brock Lesnar are brawling backstage, and I think it's going to be incredible. And regardless of the people who thought the match ended weird or whatever, you heard the reaction of that crowd when the lights went out. And the gong hit. Oh, forget it. Let's not overshadow how awesome it was. Incredible. There was just an awkward hug at the end. There was a bit of an awkward hug. And, like, it's like, well, I thought we were just friends. Well, I wanted more. You know what I mean? (laughs) There there were that. It was there. But, uh, yeah. So that leads us, I guess, into talking about what's going on with Seth Rollins now. And you're right. What you said earlier. I was watching Raw under the assumption that they will do a champion versus champion match between Seth Rollins and John Cena at SummerSlam. Um, it was funny, as I was watching the John Cena-Kevin Owens match at Battleground, you remember a couple weeks ago I was saying, what is this, a best two out of three, a rubber match, uh, whatever it is, like how many matches between these two are we going to do? I found myself watching Battleground going, you know, I'd be okay if – this was just a standard at pay-per-views now for the rest of the year. <laughs> if they just had the John, like, part of watching a WWE pay-per-view is the John Cena-Kevin Owens match. It's fantastic. I could watch him till the end of time. And I, I hate to kind of digress from the topic at hand here, which is Seth Rollins, but so what, no Kevin Owens at SummerSlam? Well, that's what I was wondering. I, I was sitting there What's going up? like. That's, a, that's an error. And I wonder, too. And I hate to jump on this bandwagon because I think people do it too much, but there's this series of things where a new guy looks strong against Cena in the beginning, but at the end of the day, John Cena comes out victorious and hasn't really done anything for the young guy. Did it really do anything for Bray Wyatt to look strong against Cena if at the end of the day Cena came out on top? Did it really do anything for Rusev to look strong against Cena if at the end of the day Cena came out on top? Does it really do anything for Kevin Owens as hot as he was coming in, getting that clean victory over Cena? Does that clean victory over Cena do anything for Owens now that Cena has, I guess, decisively beaten him and we're moving on, which I didn't expect? I was a little disappointed there was a tap out. Yeah, I mean, that it was as decisive as you can get. All talking can stop. Owens has nothing to say. Cena put him in the, the thing, and, and I was Kevin Owens kind of tapped surprised. out. I was surprised, too. I was surprised, too. And there is a value to having a strong John Cena, but I think they kind of— But in the words of Kevin Owens, we get it. We've seen you come out like this for <laughs> 10 years. We get it. John Cena's a star. Right. 
Build somebody else. And I think Cena is in this unique position where he can lose. He's finally at the point in his career where he can lose. He can lose championships. Cena could lose every match for the next six months and still come back looking strong easily. How would you have played that out? I mean, well, the question comes to mind then. The purpose of Cena being as strong as he is should only be that eventually somebody will be made to look stronger by beating him. Hence, Undertaker's streak only existed so Brock Lesnar could look stronger. Because before he beat the Undertaker's streak, Lesnar was not an, a, a force to be reckoned with. I mean, he was a special attraction because he didn't wrestle very often. But Lesnar was beaten by John Cena. He was beaten by Triple H. He was, you know, he ha- people were beating Brock Lesnar on the reg. So when he won the when he beat the Undertaker's streak, that was the moment where it was like we spent all this time building this streak. The streak's been broken because it's going to make Brock Lesnar look unstoppable, and it was effective. So John Cena, looking as strong as he does, one would assume that the only real purpose to it is to make somebody look strong. I thought that somebody was going to be Bray Wyatt. I didn't think it was going to be Rusev, but you know, a year ago. I thought that was going to be Bray Wyatt. It wasn't Bray Wyatt. I really thought it was going to be Kevin Owens this time, and it wasn't. So wait, we haven't answered the question yet, so we're not going to see Kevin Owens at SummerSlam. Unless he ends up in something like, you know, the main event of Raw, they did the thing with the heels walking out on each other. Unless they do something where, like, him and Sheamus don't get along, or they put him in with Cesaro. Or something, which is a huge disappointment from the Cena thing, because the Cena thing was just so perfect. So good. So good. I could have went with the best of ten at this point. As I said, put him on every pay-per-view. Stop counting matches. Every pay-per-view for the next year. (laughs) For the remainder of 2015, they are each other's opponents, and they will battle until the end of time. We're there. I would Yeah, I'd be excited every pay-per-view. All right. Here comes my favorite part. It's like every pay-per-view. You got the Divas match, you got the title match, you got the Cena-Owens match. Yeah, the Open Memorial. Right, Wimbledon. Wimbledon something, but it's always going to be Kevin it's Owens. It's always Kevin Owens, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know Open how, Memorial, Owens. It's the exact opposite. You know how, like, uh, uh, Cena made it cool? And by the way, the, the Open Challenge was cool. Having somebody new come out every week on Raw. I mean, Stardust came out and Sami Zayn came out and Neville came out and all this stuff. That was cool. That was very cool. And now do the complete opposite. Like, you never know who Cena's going to face. Okay, cool. But now, it's Kevin Owens every time? Now you always know who Cena's going to face, and it's always Kevin Owens. <laughs> I would watch them all. They're all great. I've never not enjoyed a Cena-Owens match. Can we talk about Rusev? Yeah. What are they doing with Rusev, man? He's got no I, shoes. I, no. Not only does he have no shoes, his love life is lackluster. Well, he's got Summer Ray. What do you mean, lackluster? He doesn't have any friends. No, they walked out on him. And you're right. He doesn't have any shoes. I feel like we should start a <laughs> Kickstarter page, like a GoFundMe. Right. Like the first goal is to get Rusev some shoes. I feel kind of bad. Then it's to get him some friends. And then the final goal is to get him a chick. But what about Summer Ray? That's his chick. Yeah, but you know she's just a stand-in. You think she's just a rebound? Yeah, for sure. That sucks for Summer. Mm-hmm. I like Summer. We all do. Right, but... She's dressing like Lana. She's got to do her. Yeah. Not Lana. Right. You know? You're right. Well, what about what about Lana? Like, do you think her and, and Ziggler is a, is a thing? I think her and Summer Rae is going to be a match. Yeah, that would be, I would watch that match. I bet Lana's sick in the ring to give her a chance. I don't know. We've never seen her. We've huh. never seen her. I wonder if, I mean, 
yeah, I would like to see it. I think everybody would like to see it. Lana's one of the most popular divas in the division. I think everybody's very eager for a Lana match, but, uh, you know, who knows? She's one of the most popular divas. It's just by talking. Yeah, by not even having Good to do you. anything. Good for you. So... Do you like Seth Rollins John Cena? I think it's going to be a good match, but I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't like it. Like I like. I would rather see either Kevin Owens versus John Cena or Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins. To tell you the truth, I would rather see Jerry Lawler versus Doink the Clown. No, I would. Wow. Now yeah. is that to say that, that you don't want to see Cena uh, Rollins, or is that to say you love Lawler and Doink? No, I'm not even sure. At this <laughs> yeah, point. you just, you just want to see the fucking doink match. That yes, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah I exactly. Get it. I get it. Um, so you're not really. I'm not for, that excited for it. I gotta not. be honest. Well, you weren't excited about Rollins Lesnar. No, because I feel like we all knew something was going to happen. Like right, that. there's going to be some chicanery because Rollins yeah. isn't getting isn't losing the title, but he's not getting clean fall over Lesnar. No, no, not a chance. No. So there was some exciting it's the excitement that came with that. So what if they do – what are they going to do, title for title where both championships are on the line? I think that would be a great idea. Yeah. And to me, Seth Rollins has to beat John Cena. He has to. He has to. I mean, because yeah. otherwise – the only – here's the only thing. I just feel a little John Cena played out, man. Here's Here's the only thing I could see. And if you remember, I've fantasy booked – my way out of the Kevin Owens, Finn Balor, John Cena, and it didn't go at all my way. At all. Not even close. You could just say it did. No one would know. They're not going to go back. I got a backlog. Look, I had John Cena winning the NXT Championship, okay? <laughs> I have, My ideas are sometimes... <laughs> well, that was a really stupid idea. It wasn't stupid. It was just a little far out. Really, I'm really a creative dumb. person. Well, <laughs> sometimes your creativity sucks. It doesn't suck. <laughs> People would be behind that. Anywho... Um, you did have John Cena as the NXT, NXT champion. champion, yes, and then he and then he loses it at full sale. That's huge. So, <laughs> and it's not taped. It's not even on. It's, it's what, a house what, show. Listen, it's yeah. Coco Springs. Yeah, yeah, Is that even like, the name of the town? Coco Springs, Florida. It's in Venice. Yeah, and he's losing it to uh, Salmon Crow. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> and I think he should anyway. Here's my new thing. This ought to be good. I would say. It depends on really what you want to do. And if you're still attached to the idea of Roman Reigns being your guy going forward, what you can do is put the title on John Cena. He beats Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins gets a rematch. He beats him again. Where? Well, I don't know. Next pay-per-view. Okay. Everybody is fed up with John Cena. Everybody's drinking that Katie Linendahl Haterade. I don't drink the Haterade. Sometimes you do. I just and, sip it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really an ecto-cooler. And Roman Reigns it's becomes a squeeze it. <laughs> it's a cool burst. Roman it's Reigns, son. Roman Reigns becomes the opponent for John Cena. Now you've got people who want Roman Reigns to win because the alternative is John Cena. So maybe you just created a scenario where Roman Reigns can realistically be your guy because he's beating John Cena. What's where do you stand on that, Linendahl? I honestly, I just kind of spaced out because none of this excites me. Because you're fucking thinking about me. juice. I was thinking about juice. I'm also thinking about, sorry, sidebar. I saved my cheat day and my uh, off day just for you, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. Hot eats cool treats. So oh. I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm hungry, too. We have to but focus on the I task at hand. <laughs> but I want the blizzard of the month. I know you do. Um, 
I'm not excited about putting John Cena in the spotlight. It's just been done over and over. And that's, I think, why I was so excited when Kevin Owens right. said, just come out here. We, you've done the same thing for 10 years. We get it. And I was like, slow clap. Right. See, that's why I always get like. Slow uh, clap. Are you going to do a new day? You just. All right. That's why I'm, I'm. I think I'm naive because I always go like, "It's okay. I know everybody's fed up with John Cena, but let's put him in the spot and then see where it goes." And then it's always like, "No, no, no this is it. John Cena's just the guy now." And you're like, "Oh, it doesn't go anywhere. That's just John Cena's just the guy." And they're like, "Yeah." I'm I like, will oh. say that I, I do like that he's put a a little bit more clout on the United States Championship. But now, what are you doing with it? Now you're going to make it so that it's stuck in the main event. It's stuck in the world title match. Like, I don't know. Like, it had clout on it when it was – so that's why Kevin Owens should be the United States champion. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. Can you dig that? Sucker. Sucker. <laughs> 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 All right. Let's get into the Divas. Oh, gosh. I have had a very exciting last few days. You sure have. Love seeing – everybody knows, love those NXT Divas. One in particular. Watch up, Whatever. Not mentioning any names. The so, boss. The boss. Um, I think they've been doing incredible. And it, it, you know what's crazy? You look at the ring. And when they first came out last week. or the, No, no, no. When they, at the pay-per-view, a battleground. They're all in the ring together. Bree, Charlotte, Sasha. Charlotte and Sasha are the NXT Divas. These are the quote-unquote developmental Divas. And as much as I'm all about Brie mode, love me the Bellas. Oh, baby, here it comes. Finally! You know I love the Bellas. But you're looking at that ring going, uh, I don't know if Brie belongs in that ring. Someone's a third wheel. (laughs) Right. And for once it's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Sasha and I get along, okay? Um... Yeah, I was looking at there wow. going like, whoa. I mean. Like, I don't, like, I, I would. Very, very obvious. Yeah. And you kind of go, I don't know who on the main roster. I mean, we were talking about it last week a little bit. But but now you really see it. And you're like, I don't even know. I don't know if Brie belongs in this match. I, and, uh, it's You've hit this reality. Yeah. I guess the Brie Mode shirt's retired. No, the Brie Mode shirt's not retired. I stay in Brie Mode. All right. I still get excited when I hear. I think Paige and Naomi and Tamina, as I've said previously, fit in. Right. And I don't, I don't like the words "fit in" in any scenario. Right. But you're... can match like pound for pound. Here. Well, maybe the Bellas are the outliers. Here's what I also found weird. Tell me. One, putting them on commentary. Two, putting them on commentary and keeping it so vague. Like if 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 I were them and in a boat, where. All right, maybe my skills don't match up, right? I'm gonna right. I'm gonna substitute for something that is better. Right. I'm gonna go haterade on them. Right. I'm gonna make this a rivalry. I'm gonna be like, no, we've been here. This is our house. Just start taking shots. Take the shots. Don't say competition is a good thing and we're really great and competition's only gonna make us better. It was too cheesy. Yeah, I wonder how much just of that... own it. Yes, like I want to own hear... this rivalry and and. and Fill in where your your weak spots are. Become Donald Trump. Like, just yes. start taking shots. Take shots. But you wonder if part of that is maybe an initiative by WWE to not have 
the women bullying each other. But, I mean, they're putting such a spotlight on this divide of how now divas are divas in the sense that they can, like, kick ass in the ring. Right. Let it go. And by the way— Let it go and just make a rivalry out of it. They should go even further with the divas thing and say, like, NXT—Sasha Banks is the NXT women's champion, not the NXT divas champion. They should not be calling the NXT ladies divas. Those should be the women from NXT— the divas from WWE. That should be part of the thing. Oh, I agree with that. Like, create some separation there. Because eventually, divas is kind of a diminutive name. Eventually, it should be the women's division, not the divas division. Absolutely. Like, you don't call it the... I mean, you could say, like, they're divas the way you might say they're superstars. But you don't describe gender... By saying superstar. Well, I just think that has a weird connotation that comes with it, too. What? Diva. Yeah. It's just, eh. Right. It's like, hey, head bitch in charge. And you're like, relax. <laughs> you know? Relax. What kind of diva are you? Donna Summer. I almost felt like she... <laughs> Donna Summer. <laughs> Peanut butter jelly time. <laughs> I feel like there was a moment, too, where you're just... You could almost feel that Sasha and Charlotte, at one point... Just wanted to wrestle each other. And it yeah. was just like, just kind of back out of the ring. I thought, you're like, Brie, this is the match we know how to do. And oh, this is the, my gosh. This is was... the one they want to see. I was really impressed on Raw because the bank statement as a move looks like a move that's so easy to screw up because you just have to kind of twist yourself around and be in the right position. Yeah. She was flawless, to borrow a term. She was flawless, uh, Sasha Banks was, when she put the bank statement on on Raw. The bank statement that was put down on Raw, I think she, what she do on a page? Whoever it was, she did it flawlessly. I'll tell you what didn't happen flawlessly. Is what? Pages paid time off. <laughs> it's not what it is. PTO does not stand it's for paid time off. Is that what it is? She did not nail it. My gosh. Mm-hmm. All right, Katie. Well, you got anything else that you want to hit before we go? Wow. Time's up? Yeah. I mean, look at the time. I feel like we should give out some barbecue sauce. You want to give out more prizes? Yeah, let's give out some prizes. All right, but. I'm hungry and I'm thinking about food. <laughs> well, maybe we should save the prizes because you're going to be in Hong Kong no, and shut the Philippines up, and Malaysia. Come on, let's give out some prizes. But and, then I'm going to have and, to deal with it while you're in another country. That's too bad. We'll give out one full set of barbecue sauce and then but you have to. Here's the deal. Oh, this is good. I just okay. made this up. All right. We haven't blown up Tatanka's Twitter account in a while. Uh-huh. So you have to use a hashtag and blow up Twitter, a Tatanka's Twitter account. And tag myself and, and Sam. You got to finish it here for me. Using the, they have to say something to Tatanka. Yeah, how about hashtag Tatanka loves barbecue? BBQ. Yeah, just make it real random. Tatanka loves BBQ. Hashtag it. We'll send somebody some JR's barbecue sauce. Done. Katie Linendahl, thanks for stopping by. Good times. I'll talk to you later. Chowski. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 
5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.